Whatever the f*** that is. It's been a hell of a week. Well, uh, yeah, I think this should just be the Heartbleed episode. Oh, you want to jump into this? Yeah, let's go. And I can eat dinner. You haven't learned to eat dinner first? It's going to be a bad episode. I'm going to say some crazy shit, I bet. And I bet I'm going to have to bleep out a lot of swear words. This is going to take a while to edit. Here we go. It is April 15th, tax day here in the U.S. And yeah, episode 63 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and with me tonight is Mr. Andrew Kellett. And if you're wondering why Jerry sounds so tired, oh boy, are you going to learn. Yeah, yeah. I've only worked uh, like 80 hours since last Thursday, so... Well, that's just because you're a bleeding heart liberal. Wait, no. Oh, so, no, 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 I got that wrong. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, there was a there was a really big security event, and you probably all heard about it, the, the big WordPress update. The, oh, nope, that's not nope, it. No. <laughs> nope. No. Was it the U.S. Airways tweet? No. 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 Oh, yeah, it might be Heartbleed. <laughs> hey, before we jump into that, uh, none of our thoughts represent those of our employers, past, present, future, or in alternate dimensions. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for that. Because because we're gonna say some stuff. Yeah, and it will probably be unpopular. Don't blame my employer. Don't ma- blame Mr. Cal's employer. Anyhow, uh, so so yeah. Um, I, unless you're living under a rock, you you've heard about Heartbleed. I, I have to I have to say, this has been the most unprecedented security event, infosec event that I can ever remember. And I've been doing this for a long time now. And you know what kills me is it's a CVSS5. You know, yeah. you always think about you always think about these things being really nasty, uh, you know, remote remote root exploit crap. But but here this has been really crazy. So so anyhow we have a we have a couple of stories to to talk about. Uh I'll I'll give some detail in case you have been living under a rock. Um, just to just to start out again, this is a vulnerability in OpenSSL. I, I I've God, I've even heard radio station t- morning talk shows talking about the stupid thing. Oh yeah, yeah. When when CNN and CNBC and others are trying to cover this, it's it gets ugly. It's, you know, and I'll admit when this first broke, I was like, meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> And and it just cascaded and cascaded and cascaded. And and I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian on some of this and still say a little meh on a couple of things because of a couple of reasons that we'll get into. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm I'm of two minds, right? I've been I've been living well, in hell have, because of it. So they have medication for that sort of problem now, Jerry. Well, that's true. Yes, you have been living in hell. And I will admit that my day job has been far less consumed by this of course it's been of of major note but it's really been a lot more of knowledge transfer and discussion and research with a lot of the folks i work with and and my customers um whereas you on the other hand uh you know yeah 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 40 hour days (laughs) yeah right i did get to eat dinner today so that was uh that was a big improvement but but anyhow um (laughs) There's there's a there's a lot of nuance to this thing and and so we'll we'll just kind of get in and we'll we'll peel through it as or peel it apart as we go through. So the first story we've got about this comes from Ars Technica and it's called uh, Heartbleed Bug Ex- Exploited to Steal Taxpayer Data. Well, can can we back up and set the stage a little? Just yeah, a absolutely. Just for the record in case, you know, somebody's listening to this in the future or right. just authoritatively, here's what Heartbleed is. It has to do with sites that are running uh, certain versions of OpenSSL. And in essence, you can send a specially crafted connection to it and have it kick back a uh, bunch of random memory in use. And as such, you can have it send you all sorts of things that are in RAM that are currently being processed. So if you're clever and you're fast and you do things at the right time, you can get it to send you all sorts of interesting things, whatever's being processed in memory. But it's in 64K chunks. It's not like you're downloading the entire Edge password file. There's a bit of luck involved here and a bit of persistence. 
Uh, but it does allow you to capture things in, in running memory. And there was a bit of a debate initially about whether or not you could get private keys. Turns out you can. Uh, private SSL keys, I should say. Um, certainly you could use an password. Certainly you can get all sorts of stuff. But let's just be clear. You do have to capture the right memory blocks at the right time. And you don't uh, get to pick what you're what you're requesting either. Right, though you can request, you know, big blocks of it, uh, you know, over and over and over again. Right. Um, so, just a little background, just set the stage. There's thousands of articles out there that get much deeper if you want to get into that. But I think that is sort of key prerequisite knowledge when we start talking about, um, you know, certain things in terms of what is truly a threat, what isn't a threat. Yep, absolutely. That's, An that's impact. Good, good introduction. And and you know, I would also say that it it is impacting any service that runs uh, with SSL, right? And and that that can be uh, SMTP, it can be POP, IMAP, um, you know, all, all sorts of different services. Any, in fact, any service that that is tunneled using OpenSSL. Right. Would be, would be vulnerable. And, and what's, what's kind of insidious about it is it is the, the attack happens at a layer below the application that you're, that you're using. And so the implication there is that when you open, when the attacker opens the sock, the network socket or network port, depending on what point you uh, went to school, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you're essentially negotiating the, the SSL connection and you are not, you have not yet gone into the application layer. So you've not yet sent your pop commands or, or what, what have you, but, but you're sending some specific packets related to a relatively new feature in open SSL, uh, which is how uh, it got its name. It's a heartbeat. And and so essentially, what happens? You can send some malformed heartbeat uh, packets, and you can essentially request, as you said, up to sixty-four k of RAM, and and the server that you're talking to will very happily comply and send memory back. So it's a it, it's a um, it's kind of bad thing. But where I was going with that that train of thought is, it's not logged, right? Your your application right. has no idea that someone just you know, requested some memory. And, and so that's, what's really um, one of the real big problems here is we don't really know. And I would say most organizations won't really know if anybody actually took advantage of this. And that, that kind of dovetails into the first story. Yeah. And just to be very clear, this isn't all SSL. It's only SSL based on the open SSL libraries, uh, certain versions uh, unfortunately, that's about half the internet. But just to be clear, I mean, other than that, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So back to our first story. So Sorry, the, I just uh, want to set the stage a little for for our listeners. So the the Canada Revenue Agency, which I suppose is like probably a much kinder version of the IRS. Well, we're so sorry. We're taking your dollars, eh? Oof, that's bad. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> So the uh, the Canadian Revenue Agency is blaming the theft of nine hundred the the information of nine hundred taxpayers on the Heartbleed bug. Now I've been living this, and I've been talking to lots of people. I've been thinking a whole lot about it, and I got to call bullshit. And uh, on this particular story, you know, okay, there there's there are. There are three possibilities I can come up with. Okay. Number one, there is a reference to them being notified by a government security agency. Okay. So conceivably, uh, the Canadian version of the NSA happened to be, you know, watching credit or uh, taxpayer stuff going out the door. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. Option number two was they were doing full full packet captures and went back and did a retrospective analysis. And option three, they got breached, someone figured it out, 
And this was an opportune time and thing to blame. Yeah. It does seem very odd to me, given what this does, that you could easily capture this sort of data, unless it's just hanging around in memory somehow. Yeah. uh, I mean, unless this was a first step in terms of, you know, they use this to break in uh, somehow and then grab it from there. But that's not what the article is implying. Correct. Correct. And so, you know, the, the only thing I could come up with is that somebody was you know was um, was banging on the door so to speak and was either you know seeing data that was resident in ram or potentially they got the user id and password of somebody who had logged in and then were able to see 900 but uh, i'm still really really skeptical that any of those things happened i i have to tell you the cynic in me says that this was just a, you know, a, a convenient patsy. This to me seems like every time a company gets breached, what does the CEO come out and say? Oh, it was a really advanced attack that we couldn't, we couldn't possibly have foreseen or blocked. And you know what? What more advanced attack than this thing that's all over the news? So that's that's my thing. I, you know, maybe we'll find out more. And I'm wrong. I don't know. So for me. I was actually kind of amused because there's only 900 citizens. I mean, in terms of uh, disclosures in the U.S., that's barely a blip on the radar. But, you know, it's Canada. Well, I know. Uh, you know, they're very polite up there. Whoever was attacking probably didn't want to overdo it. Well, <laughs> you're assuming that the attacker was Canadian. You know, the Internet is international. It goes to Canada now. Yeah, but who'd want to? Oh, never mind. Uh, they might not have known. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You don't speak, don't speak it. Well, it could have been in French Canadian. It's true. Anyhow. So all that being said, I agree with you that it's difficult to pin this onto Heartbleed, especially because of, and this is stuff I want to get into, you know, a little later, like you were commenting on, there's very light footprint from this attack. There's really very little forensics, unless that you've got something fairly sophisticated on the outside of that box watching. Now it's easy to spot. Everybody knows what to look for now. But previous to this, this wasn't popping up on much. It wasn't triggering IPSs. It wasn't triggering anti-malware. It wasn't triggering much of anything. You know, I don't know if any of the web application firewalls are even triggering on this. As far as I know, I've not heard of anybody touting, hey, we we caught this automatically. And normally that's the first thing these guys would come out and say. So I think that's next week. Okay. That'll be the that'll be the big news next week. Is you know if you would have had our our WAF or whatever, you know, you would have been you would have been safe if if you would have had our signature in place that we released. Right. <laughs> I, I you know I'm curious about you know reverse proxies and all that kind of stuff. What how this would have behaved through those, but um, I don't have any information in front of me that I can talk about. So basically, I'm just pointing out that I'm ignorant to this fact. But all that being said. It's really tough to know that Heartbleed was responsible for this. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's my that's my point for bringing it up, which which kind of goes back to we don't actually know whether there was any damage done. Now, you know, one, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that this this apparently has been out there. This bug has been out there for about two years. Yep, and you know, of course, there's the conspiracy theorists who point out that the the person who put the who made the code commit it committed it on i think it was 11 59 p.m on december 31st 2012 i guess it was you know i don't know that's one i would code too i guess well it's funny because the guy who is responsible for this bug has even done media and said uh well it was a mistake nothing nefarious here i just added a line twice by accident and nobody caught it so and that's what the, we, this is exactly what the NSA wants him to say. Well, yeah, <laughs> I kid. I'm kidding. No, I, it's in my notes to talk about later. But you know, let's 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 jam through the stories and we'll circle right. back around to all of our comments and thoughts. Okay, so the next story we have is also from Ars Technica. the uh, The title is "Private Crypto Keys Are Accessible to Heartbleed Attackers or Hackers." New data shows so. In the immediate aftermath of 
learning about the bug, there was a lot of debate about what was actually possible with it. You know, certainly right out of the gate, there was some debate, well, can, can you steal passwords? And then it became a really fun game to steal Yahoo mail passwords. Uh, and, and it became pretty trivial. A lot of us have seen some of the, the captures from, from that. Um, one of the, one of the, the next things that became of concern was, uh, SSL key or SSL certificates. And interestingly, not the certificate itself, but the private key. And the private key is, is often loaded into memory. And so there was some debate back and forth. And, and I think even Rob Graham weighed in and then walked backwards and, then Cloudflare jumped in and said, I don't, you know, we don't think it's possible. We looked at the code. We don't think it's, we don't think you can do it. So they set up a challenge. They set up a, a website that was intentionally vulnerable and they, um, you know, they requested someone to sign a particular phrase with their private key. And then if they could do that, that would show that they were able, to, the attacker was able to extract the private key. And it took all of nine hours for someone <laughs> to do. And in fact, two different people did it. Uh, I think in roughly the same amount of time. One of them, uh, one of the attacks, just to give you a sense of, of the complexity behind it, one of them took about two million, or was it two million or 200,000? Two, two million, 2.5 million requests against the website to, to eventually get the entire private key. And the other one was able to do it in about 100,000. So, Two and a half million seems like a lot, but obviously, you know, it's not a lot of packets in the scheme of things. So uh, at the end of the day, this did demonstrate the concern around private keys. Uh, I I have to say there's been a lot of discussion and debate about some of the certificate authorities. There's been talk about uh, pulling out start CAs root certificate from the major browsers because start CA who offers free certificates. And by the way, uh, that's who I use on my websites uh, because again, they're free uh, start CA wants to charge you. I think it was 25 bucks to revoke a, cert a certificate. And so uh, mm. the, the concern there was that website operators like me would not, go and and revoke you know pay pay the money to revoke the cert um but you know i have to tell you i'm not all that worried about someone setting up a you know a a, a, a evil twin site of mine right and i suspect a lot of companies you know there aren't banks out there using start ca and and for me, and I suspect for a lot of the other customers, or I use the term customer loosely, uh, of of Start CA, probably are just more interested in making sure that the 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 Yahoo at the coffee shop can't see what they're doing when they log in to manage their WordPress site. Yeah, uh, it all depends on on what your site is, right? You know, that's where it goes comes back to security being a local concern. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think, I guess my point is, I think it's a little, possibly a little over the top in my in my book to talk about revoking uh, Start CA's root certificate from web browsers because they want to charge twenty five bucks for for uh, processing certificate revocations. It does show some interesting political aspects of the ecosystem, though. Oh, the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> who can who can decide who gets revoked, who doesn't get revoked, who makes it in the browser as a pre-installed root cert? Oh, it, yes. There's some interesting politics there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So the uh, the next story we have comes from Vox, who I've never heard of before, and this is a I guess an op-ed piece by. Some guy named Tim Berners-Lee. I don't know who who that guy is. And <laughs> and uh, he's an intern somewhere. Yeah, clearly. Uh, oh, but you know, I have to I have to tell you, I saw Paul Vixie ranting about this thing on uh, full on the new full disclosure list the other day. I felt oh, yeah? I felt like I was back in the 
<laughs> in the nineties. Crazy. Paul Vixie, now Tim Berners Lee. Hey, you know. Good times. Mm-hmm. So so anyhow, this the title of the story is Here's Why It Took Two Years for Anyone to Notice the Heartbleed Bug. And I Let's don't... back up. Okay. Anyone in the open world. Sorry? Anyone in the open world. Yeah. You know, it's the heartbeat bug. Heartbleed bug. Uh, that's a good point. Because we'll circle back to that. That's that's a really good point. Thank that's you. called that's called foreshadowing. Woo. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> All right. So tell us, why did it take you two years for the open world to find the heartbleed? Because no one's looking. But wait, Jerry, it's open source. Many eyes make shallow bugs. If someone's looking. But I thought that's what I thought. Lots. I know. Of people... I know. I know. Eric Raymond wrote that paper that, which was which is very good, and you know, I I think in a lot of ways it's true. But kind of back to your comment about this whole thing shining a very interesting light on, you know, the economy and the ecosystem of the internet is is insanely interesting, right? Because now we have this kind of innocuous piece of software that some people wrote and a very small number of people maintain. And by the way, these guys have got to be absolutely brilliant because it's a very complicated piece of software. You know, the things it does are very, very complicated and there probably aren't a lot of people in the world who thoroughly understand it. And I bet you that has a lot to do with why the bugs remain hidden because the code is very complex and, and, and whatnot. So it takes, you know, it takes a certain kind of person in my view anyway, to find some of these bugs. And I see that, I think that is true across a lot of things. You know, when we talk about vulnerabilities and in uh, ciphers, you know, cryptographic algorithms and whatnot, there's not a lot of people in the world who are going to be able to, to sit down with something like that and say, Oh, yep, here's your, here's your problem. Yeah, and, and so so I think it's a little it's a little bit optimistic to think that you know the average casual open source contributor is going to sit down and and you know pop open uh, the open SSL code and and be able to really clearly identify a bug. Maybe I'm wrong here, but you know uh, the the person who apparently found it first, as far as we know, is uh, is a guy named Neil Meta who. Who we we actually used to work with mm-hmm. uh, at a company we were at before, and he is at Google now. So you know, kudos on him, and and thank you very much for ruining my last week, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, no hard feelings at all, really. I mean that. So so anyhow, the the point behind Tim's article is actually not really. Uh, what the title would lead you to believe it, but more about what the fundamental problem here is in, in that we've got this, this piece of code, which has crawled into every crevice or, or almost every crevice imaginable. You know, it's inside hardware. It's inside phones. It's, you know, it's everywhere. It's, an, you know, it's, it's in, Software of all stripes, mainstream software. It's in you know it's in every Linux distribution. It's in most commercial Linux distributions. It is everywhere, and it's a little thing that's managed by you know I think it was six people. Only one of them is full time. And how does that happen? And and so possibly given the fact that this was so high profile, and I think this was the point of Tim's. Uh, article here is that if, if we care about this stuff and and assuming that we're not going to you know move away from the open source model and towards something that is commercially supported which you know I think that's probably not going to happen either we're going to have to somebody's going to have to do something right otherwise this kind of stuff is going to keep happening and his his proposal is that there there's going to need to be somebody step up whether it's a nonprofit or government or you know academia somebody's going to need to step up and 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 help to provide code audits for some of this really key software because otherwise we're 
you know, we're going to have this kind of thing happening a lot. There's a lot of a very pervasive components like OpenSSL that are, you know, open source and deeply embedded in lots of software. I have trouble with this philosophy because the problem is you could code audit in a lot of different ways. And there's no guarantee that a code audit would have caught this. It depends on the quality of the code audit. So who's going to code audit out of the, out of the, you know, kindness of their heart? You're going to go buy some tools. You're going to have to do this in an automated fashion and how you define which pieces of code deserve to be code audited and which, which aren't. You know, the flip side of this is let's assume for a moment that everyone assumed wrongly, but let's say they assumed that this was rock solid code. So it was safe to use. And that's why so many people used it, right? It was available. It worked well. It was well known. It was well trusted. Uh, and it was safe. So, you know, what are you going to get to a point where you code on it and then you declare it as safe and then you have another one of these things come up? I don't think it's possible to write bug-free code. Well, Not spe- at, the, yes. at the pace. Sorry, go ahead. Especially in, in really complicated things. It yeah. becomes very difficult. I, you know, I, I mean, you, you bring up a, you bring up a good point. I think, I think the point here is, this stuff isn't going to go away, so maybe we ought to try. <laughs> you know, we're certainly not going to find it if we don't code audit. I agree. It's better than nothing. I don't want to be the perfect of the enemy of good enough, but he kind of is going with this, you know, socialist mindset of we just need a code auditing, you know, oversight committee. And well, well I mean, it, it it's a political philosophy that open source is, you know, and and I mean, it is what it is, right? It's it's just well, uh, it's just. A well, let's different... bring it back around for a minute. This is impacting almost every major vendor out there. Yeah. Well, and what that's was... by the way, that's one of his points is that you know all of these vendors are mm-hmm. selling it as part of their products. Yes. And uh, right. And where was their responsibility to audit any of the code they're putting into their to their products? <laughs> do they do they have a responsibility? Now, I'm not saying that companies should be held liable for buggy code, uh, which has been a, an ongoing debate for years and years and years and years, uh, you know, fiscally liable. But, you know, this is hurting a lot of those companies. So maybe they'll take a look at this. I think I think the honeymoon phase is over on free open source software being automatically trusted because of the fact that it's free and open source. I think a wise company is not going to be a little more skeptical about that before they include it in their software going forward. Possibly. I'm, I'm not so, I'm not so convinced that, that we're, uh, that, that companies are, are that apt to learn their lesson because look, I mean, how many years have we had Linux and Linux vulnerabilities in Firefox and Chrome vulnerabilities? Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's the, this, this is, this is a unique situation because it it's happening all at once, yeah. And that and for me personally, that's been the real the real significance of this event versus anything else because it isn't it isn't particularly a particularly bad bug, right? I mean, there's 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 certainly been far worse bugs out there, uh, and and you know there's there's probably far worse bugs once a quarter mm-hmm. out there, but the difference here is. This thing impacts so many people or so many different pieces of technology. It is the same attack mechanism can get you into every single one, whether it's on a, you know, on the most large piece of hardware you can think of or a cell phone. You know, it's the same, it's the same attack vector. And, uh, and, everybody it, it's trivial to exploit and there's no way to tell that it's been done at least you know up until the point where where we had the ability to look for it so i think it's been uh i think it's been a kind of a unique event from from that perspective that if there is a chance of things changing and people sitting up and taking note it is because of that and the fact that this was this was marketed unlike any other vulnerability i've ever 
scene. You mm-hmm. know? And I don't know, I don't know what was going on with that Codenomicon company that registered the Heartbleed website. And you know, the, the joke is that uh, they couldn't release it until the 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 uh, design contest, the logo design contest, was over. <laughs> well, you know, we should talk a little bit about the discovery of this too. Because one thing that I found very interesting was, you know, Google's credited with finding it first, but another company is credited with finding it independently almost at the same time. Yeah, just a couple of days later, which is which is extraordinarily ironic in my in my book, right? So this thing's out there for two years. Neil Meta with Google apparently stumbles upon it. I, I'm not exactly sure. And uh, you know, when he he uh, I think Google patched some of their their stuff and it started to trickle out and then all of a sudden codenomicon finds it and it starts it starts getting it you know it starts being leaked to more companies yep and about the same time codenomicon registers the heartbleed.com domain and uh, you know and, and kind of the the rest is history so there's um there there's a uh, there's a timeline out there and I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes which um you know it doesn't it's very factual, but when you read it, you you're left thinking, "Well, boy, that seems <laughs> seems awfully coincidental that 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 it happened that way." Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's sort of one thing I want to bring up as well is, all right, this is pure speculation, purely speculative. But let's do a little thought experiment. Let's assume that this was found by a nation state a while ago, perhaps us. And we've been utilizing it as a weaponized exploit, and us being, you know, the U.S. federal government. And a foreign state stumbles upon this and suddenly starts weaponizing it and and exploiting this as well. The right thing to do, or the proper thing to do at that point, is to shut that vulnerability down before it can be used against you too much. How do you do it? You leak it yeah. to some well-known researchers, point them in the right direction. Let them find it, publish it. That's certainly uh, <laughs> difficult to uh, to refute as a as an idea. It's purely speculative, right? But I've seen a couple of rumors, and I have no inside knowledge. I don't work for a three letter agency, and if I did, I couldn't tell you. But I've seen some folks saying that they've seen some evidence of this being exploited long before it was publicly disclosed last week. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. It could be people just doing link bait. But I think we're going to, you know, it's something I'm very curious about. There are plenty of O-Days that are known only to whoever found them and when they sold them to the government. Plenty. Well, I, I mean, I, I think whether or not that's what happened in this case, I think that the, the hypothetical situation you brought up is it seems like a reasonable thing, right? You know, certainly... A government isn't going to want to say, "Oh, hey, <laughs> by the way, that that thing we've been using is is uh, is now being used by by our our adversary, and and maybe we should go fix it." Yeah. So, so you know, it, that's a that's a plausible thing. Whether or not that in any way, shape, or form happened is uh, who knows. My my thinking is the more likely scenario is that uh, somehow Codenomicon found out what was going on and was trying to hijack the the press. I, I don't know that. Yeah. That seems more reasonable on the second, on the second uh, discovery. Yeah. But Hey, I, who knows? Who knows? All's fair in love and war, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's kind of the high, the high points of, of what's been happening. I, I think the challenge is I see that, we will be living with the echoes of Heartbleed for quite some time. Well, and one thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, just for those who are curious, uh, you know, what are you supposed to do to fix this? And yep. it's it's relatively straightforward, uh, but it, there's some certain things going on here, and there's a lot of information flowing around. Uh, and and if, if you're cool with spending a little little time on this, I'll just kind of run through it real quick. Go for it. So the first thing that you need to do is patch whatever platform it is that is vulnerable with the OpenSSL uh, 
version that's known to be vulnerable. And I'll spare you all the version numbers. You can look them up, but you've got to get patched. That patch is out there. Now, that also means that you've got to understand which of your vendors are vulnerable and get their patches. Not everybody's patched yet, by the way. Not everybody has a patch available. For instance, VMware is still waiting on patches. Uh, there's a bunch of folks who do have patches and a bunch who don't. You need to figure that out. Uh, you need to understand which of your uh, SaaS and cloud providers are patched and not patched. Now, here's the key. There's a lot of people talking about once that site is patched, whether it be internal, external, whatever, change your password. But you have to wait until the patch occurs. The theory being that pre-patch, people can easily grab username and passwords as you log in. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't do you any good to change your password when it's still able to be leaked. Now, let's bear in mind that that only happens when your username and password are actively in memory of the box and that chunk of memory is grabbed by a heart bleed attack. Right, so there's a couple of things that need to line up here. So once you've patched, changed the passwords associated with that site, and then you get into whether or not you should be revoking SSL certs. The consensus is yes. If, if you have certs, better safe than sorry, revoke the SSL private keys and recut them, uh, which is a pain. And anything that you've got based on cookies, you may want to revoke all those cookies and because all that can be leaked and all that can be replayed. The challenge here is it depends on the severity of the site. It depends on you know how often this site is used and how aggressive you want to be on this stuff. But that's sort of worst case scenario. Anything I'm missing or comes to mind? No, I mean, I think you hit the, the high points. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you it's uh, OpenSSL 1.0.1 A through F. It is burned into my brain. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll go a little bit further and say um, the, the patching and the way this, this manifests itself, at least on most servers, you know, there's, there's a whole other embedded device um, issue which which is going to be very very vendor specific but for most servers you're going to you're going to find it in two flavors especially most linux servers are going to have open ssl installed and it's really easy to uninstall the the patch version in fact when i woke up uh, i think it was on tuesday morning i learned about this last tuesday and i went and looked at my server and i got mad at the world because uh, you know, I, I was still running 1.0.1e, and <laughs> what I didn't know is the night before my server updated with, uh, you know, with a, a, a patched version of the same, with the same library. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> automation, automation wins the day there, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so the, the challenge is w once you, well, I guess the opportunities. Once you once you upgrade OpenSSL, there uh, you can restart all the services and anything that's linked to OpenSSL in the operating system is now patched. Where it goes a little awry is when you have software that's statically linked, uh -huh. and and sometimes you do that because you don't want to. Uh, well, there's lots of different reasons. You know, usually it has to do with making sure that you have a a self-contained environment. You don't have external dependencies and you can control everything because sysadmins will sometimes do really crazy stuff like rename libraries with different version numbers and then now you have a support nightmare. So there's there are some, t some reasons why uh, a manufacturer software would want to do that. So in those cases, you have to, the, the manufacturers of the software have to release new versions or, or patches Mm -hmm. to the software and and so uh that's why we're seeing lots and lots of uh well maybe not lots but we're seeing um software actually having to be updated as well i think uh, you, you mentioned vmware I, I saw a headline that they are releasing a suite of 27 patches whoa for for vmware oh. <laughs> and i'm not picking on vmware i just happen to see that headline cross uh, recently that they, they don't have their patches out yet. There's plenty of others who don't. Uh, there are sites out there uh, who are tracking who's patching who isn't. Um, a couple of things I'd mentioned. There are also some browser plugins that you can load that yes. will tell you 
the status of the site you're hitting. There's one for Chrome called Chrome Bleed. There's one for Firefox called Fox Bleed. I have not yet stumbled across one for Internet Explorer, but there probably is one out there. Um, and, you know, you can load these, and if the site is still vulnerable, it will trigger an alert, and you cannot log in. Yeah, someone uh, someone pointed out that I think it was LastPass. If you have, oh yeah, if you have LastPass, LastPass will uh, will highlight to you which of your passwords are on sites that were vulnerable and which you haven't changed the password on yet. So, yeah, LastPass is doing a good job on that. Uh, that brings up one other thing that I'll that I'll say is that one of the things that is making this a bigger problem is the reuse of passwords on multiple sites. Yeah, yeah. and once again, this reemphasizes use a password manager for baby Jesus' sake and make randomized, unique passwords per site, please. You're going to save yourself a lot of pain in the long run. Once you get in the habit of using a password manager, it's, it's, it's a pain at first, but it's a wonderful thing. And it can sync with mobile devices and laptops and, and desktops and whatever. Um, you know. Uh, and more absolutely. sophisticated versions of it can be used in corporate environments. Uh, you know, these these are going to make your life easier when these sorts of events happen. Yeah, I, I t- totally agree. I've become <laughs> I've become a complete convert uh, to to the password manager. So to- totally agree with that. So um, I'm I'm trying to think of what other what other useful tidbits I can uh, I, I can draw upon from my last week of uh, of insane fun. You know, one thing I was thinking about is uh, there's a term in economics called a black swan event, which is an unforeseen event that could have a dramatic impact. I really think this is a pretty much a uh, case, you know, a use case, a perfect example of a black swan event. Who would have seen this coming? Who would have predicted this? Uh, it, it's a it's a great point, and I, I I certainly know some of the larger companies are exercising their response plans as a you know as as a result of this um, because it is a you know it is a really significant event that people and companies are having to respond to uh, very quickly because you know it's 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 a double edged sword right because on the one hand it's gotten a lot of media attention and so the half life of this thing is not going to be very long but on the other hand it's gotten a lot of media attention and now you're going to be getting lots of vendor questionnaires <laughs> right and and new marketing <laughs> yeah new marketing too uh, uh so so you know i i i think especially if you're in an organization that has had to respond to this i would say this is this is kind of the worst case scenario. Think about what. what oh, don't say that. No, well, think about what <laughs> what would have happened if this weren't a you know a, an information disclosure bug. What if it was a remote root exploit? Yeah. Well, that goes to my next point that I wanted to make is, well, okay, let's back up. Let me let me actually focus on that for a second. If it was a remote root exploit, I think it would have had much more of a footprint. I think it would have had much more of an impact. It would have had been a lot noisier, a much better chance of being detected by existing infrastructure still bad but i think would have been noticed quicker if it was being actively exploited yeah i i i, I won't disagree with that i guess my i guess my point is you know it, this was uh this was a bad certainly a bad thing and it impacted a lot of you know a lot of different systems mm-hmm. and i but i think it was to be honest i think it was there there were really two components to this that made it so bad number one was that it was it's well, I guess it's three, right? It's easy. It's easy to to perpetrate, hard to detect, and impacts everything. Yeah. And I guess my point is, well, you know, what if it wasn't? What if it wasn't just a, you know, a read? What, what if, or, you know, an mm. information disclosure vulnerability? What if, you know, what if it, when it came out, uh, and it hadn't been previously exploited that we know of, but it was a, you know, a trivial remote code execution or a trivial remote you know remote shell or some some much nastier thing that you know would have been much more difficult and pressing and potentially devastating uh to organizations uh, yeah. if it had happened and so i guess my my point is maybe take this as an opportunity to look at what 
complexities or, or challenges you had with responding to this and, and think about, okay, what would we have done if it were worse? What, what could I, we, I think it's a great point. What Absolutely. could we have done differently? You know, and, and, you know, just, just learn from these kinds of things. I think this is a, it's an excellent opportunity. That's something that I'm intending to do in my organization. And, and I, and I think everybody else should. Well, one thing that I was thinking about too, and I've got my notes here is let's assume for a moment, as we often do, that everything is, is breachable and that our goal is to detect it and contain it. How would we, using no knowledge of the actual exploit, but with the common tools we have today, detected this attack? How would we detect this sort of thing? It's hitting external websites. Um, most of the traffic is, uh, I'm assuming, uh, look, going to look like standard SSL traffic. Yep. Uh, the, the challenge with this one is that it's, it's so blended in so well with normal traffic how would you detect it? How would you have found it? Actually, as, as I understand it, you can the the, the heartbeat um, is actually visible outside of the 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 SSL tunnel. Hmm. So so I I suspect, but but here's the problem, right? You would have to know what you're looking for, right? And that's why I'm trying to avoid any signature based thing, right? So I'm more thinking about, and I don't have an answer. This is this is a true question. An anomaly detection system that's watching responses from your servers and looking for something that is out of the ordinary. Yeah, and w- given the way that computers are architected today, I'm not sure that's really feasible. Because if let, let's say you have an SSL terminator in front of your server mm-hmm. and you run this attack, well, you're grabbing the memory on your SSL terminator, right? And so, so you know, y- y- your IPS or whatever that's between. Yeah. I mean, you could profile the traffic behavior patterns, right? Yep. And you could you could look at, you know, average response sizes and average, you know, sixty four k at a time is pretty big, um, relatively that, speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I just I don't want to I don't want to be blind to this the next time something like this happens. So so I, I mean, just while we're talking, something popped into my mind, right? So what? And I don't know if this is feasible or not, but. Comparing again, what do we know about this? We know it was not logged, right? Right. Well, well, at least not logged on the server that was being attacked. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, and that's my point. If you're seeing data flows emanating from a port on a service, and those flows aren't being logged, maybe that's something you would look at, right? So, so yeah, correlate network traffic with with log events, right? That's so, relatively sophisticated, but sure. So, so I get I mean what I'm what I'm thinking there is, if if you're requesting 64k, that's a non-trivial amount of data. I mean, it's not a huge amount of data, but um, well, and you're more than likely going to be requesting it over and over and over again. It, yeah, it, exactly right, and it's not going to be showing up in the logs. Whereas any other request that results in a return of 64k is going to have a log, right? I mean, maybe super busy websites might have logging turned off for performance reasons. Ah, uh, that's true. No, I mean, I, I can't, yeah. I can't dispute that, right? But um, I, we're thinking about ways that you could potentially yeah. see this kind, this class of thing. Yeah, that's and a, you could architect around that if you wanted to. That's that's one one possibility. I'm, I'm sure there's 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 probably some others. Um, yeah, I'd be very curious what you know, like the improvers of the world and some of the other web application firewall vendors. Um, you know, now obviously they're going to have a, a signature for this. That, that's trivial now, but um, but I don't want to. I don't want to limit it exclusively to web traffic either. You know, this could be hitting, you know, like you said, SMTP and FTP and. Well, but I think the same thing kind of goes goes for all of those, right? If it's uh-huh. if it's SSH or or POP or IMAP or you know, now POP and IMAP tend, are, are typically horribly logged, right? So maybe it won't work for them. Um, but, but, you know, the other ones, uh, I think a similar, a similar strategy might be, might be Yeah, possible. I'm just trying to look at lessons learned, right? What can we yeah. share with our listeners as a, at least a thought experiment for this out of the blue, completely unforeseen, you know, black swan event. And what, what the hell kind of chance do you have to detect this if you're doing everything right? And, and 
By the way, if anybody from the the Risk Science Podcast is listening, we 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 apologize for the gratuitous use of the black swan. <laughs> is that is that one of their terms? That... No, 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 no. It's it's kind of a bad. I'll explain. Uh, well, you know, I, I guess I'll explain, right? So, the, so, the, so the black swan, the black swan comes from, as, as you mentioned, comes yeah, from an economic it's an economic term, sure. Right? It comes from a book uh, by a guy named uh, Taleb, Doctor Taleb, and um, it, so, so uh, it's not a secret. I've talked about it a lot, right? I've become really, really interested in all things statistics and probability, and. Um, you know, I got to say, when I bought you hooked on phonics to get you to read, I didn't think it was going to go in this. Uh, you know, it just went crazy. I mean, yeah. you, you, you're, you're eating up all my time with, <laughs> with that. But, but in any event, um, the the general consensus is that the it's it's kind of a crap theory, uh, for for people who are in the uh, in more of the actuarial mindset. Anyway, it's very it's it's. It's much more complicated than I'm going to get into right now. <laughs> All right, well, then but but we can but use it, a different term. No, no, but but as a but as a concept, the point stands. I think it's I think it's a good representative for the concept. Right? It's a very odd event. It's a it's an odd thing that doesn't happen well, very often that you're not expecting. Who the heck expected okay. this? Right. Well, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, but let's just assume. One of these types of events is going to happen once every three years. Just mm-hmm. pulling a number out of the air. Yep. How the hell are you going to prep for that? What are you going to do? You can't just ignore it, right? And that's the point of this podcast. Yes. What can we learn from this? Absolutely. So how can you prepare to react to some sort of black swan event like this? And I think you touched on it earlier in terms of your incident response plans, uh, you know, that sort of thing, emergency patching, that sort of thing. Um but let's assume this is going to happen again in some way that none of us can foresee. Right. How can we be better prepared for that? Right. Does it mean that we start mixing and matching different vendors and different versions of code? Does it mean, you know, that gets into the whole argument of, uh, of having heterogeneous versus homogeneous environments versus, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated situation, right? So, so in this particular case, you have, you know, Six different vendors all running open SSL. Right. And again, so that doesn't work. So you can't predict that. Um, and no way could you be clever enough to dig into every library and you just don't know. So well, and, I, keep, I keep coming back to how can you monitor at the perimeter for data leakage like this and catch it for an unknown exploit? Because another unknown exploit is going to happen. Yeah, uh, uh, no, no, no question about it. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're seeing. You know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems it definitely seems like we're seeing a trend towards things that are are much more sophisticated and as a common as a common exploit, right? Because because I but think a lot of the low hanging fruit is often is often been addressed by some of the. I know you're tired. Yeah, I've had a long week. I don't know if I'm going to agree with that statement. Uh, I'm extraordinarily drunk too. Well, that's that's awesome. <laughs> Let's assume for a moment that all the reporting on this is accurate. The NSA didn't know about it. Nobody was actually actively exploiting this. This isn't an attack. It's just a bug, a bug that was found that that was weaponized into a proof of concept. Right. So this weren't the this wasn't the bad guys out there finding a methodology. And then us discovering the bad guys doing this. In th- right. If everything's on the up and up. So this is, bad guys only need to be as sophisticated as they need to be for it to be effective. Right. In some ways, this is actually a bad attack because of, of the randomness and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the difficulty Absolutely. of capturing exactly what you want to capture. It's not an ideal. I mean, if you were an attacker, this is not how you would design it. <laughs> no. Um, it's a nice thing to have in the toolkit. Yeah. And it could, it could you know, bleed you some interesting info, but no right. Pun right. I mean, I would, you know, if I were designing it, I would add, I would have the ability to uh, include an offset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I know we sort of rambled down this rat hole a bit, but well, so so I guess my my point is to defend my my own honor in my in my uh, weakened state here. <laughs> my 
my my point is that not not that this isn't a bug because it obviously is a bug. My point is that this is a much more obscure bug than we we normally see. And okay. and I think a lot of the bugs that we see are becoming uh more obscure. Right? They I mean this was discovered arguably assuming it uh was discovered the way it was portrayed by an extraordinarily intelligent person uh despite being an open source package looked at by many 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 intelligent people in many different organizations over in the theory. course in theory over the course of a couple of couple of years so my point is that you know i think we're i think we're starting to trend to some more obscure bugs because in general a lot of organizations even open source are are starting to get with the program and doing sdlc certainly absolutely there are plenty of pieces of software out there that are just crap from a security standpoint. But yeah, let know. me know when SQL injection cross site scripting is solved. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm a bad man. If, if we were in the same room, you'd be kicking me. I, I would. I would. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, anyway. you know, that, that pretty much wraps up all the nuts I had. Uh, I, I had some conspiracy theory stuff about whether or not the government was exploiting this, but I think I've hinted at that enough. Uh, uh, we'll stay I, on top of this. I'm sure there'll be new developments over the next week. I, I will tell you this. I would be shocked if the, if they weren't exploiting it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't, what do you spend, well, what do you spend all those tens of billions of dollars on? Right, so so you're putting your 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 flag in the camp of they knew about it ahead of time. I'm I'm saying I would be very surprised if they didn't. If they did not know, and it may not have been them that discovered it. They may have bought it from Vupin. Or... Well, I, yeah, I mean, there's a huge <laughs> I mean, comment out there for buying it. Sure. Right. Um, so you know it. it one of the one of the challenges is that it's always it's always speculation you know did did, uh, did the NSA or the GCHQ know about that recent uh you know the the recent android pdf reader bug or did you know did they know about the the microsoft word bug or you know who who knows but we do know because it's been often cited that they have a fairly significant inventory of of zero day attacks. Oh, yeah. Who knows what's in it, right? But you know, we do know they're spending a whole lot of money and, and time and effort researching it. And this is this seems like something that would be up their alley. So, and, and by the way, you know, I know there's a lot of government people that listen to this podcast. Um, you know, among the eight people that listen. Uh, you know, <laughs> now we're up to twelve. I thought. Oh, that's true. We yeah. we do love you. We're not bashing you at, in any way. You guys have a job to do. Don't don't is, don't arrest. Please us. don't please don't audit Jerry's taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Please. Anyhow, uh, any... although it's tough to audit, you haven't filed since like 1972, right? Well, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just don't have time. I mean, I'm busy. <laughs> A little tax day humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been a serious show. Uh, shall we wrap it up then? Yep, we're done. We are done. Right. Next week, we assuming uh, assuming we're back to normal, uh, or I'm back to normal. We will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back to regular stories and not not focus on on this anymore. Well, no, this was big. This is a big event. It deserved a an hour. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know it's it's consumed your entire life the last <laughs> weeks, but I'm, I'm I'm hating it right now. So, anyhow, if you have any uh, any feedback, please send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. By the way, uh, we've gotten quite a lot of email from our what now twelve listeners. Uh, so I've heard. Uh, so, absolutely, keep it coming. Love hearing from everybody. Um, it's 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 awesome. Makes this podcast worthwhile we get to talk with some some really smart and interesting people so uh, you know thank you for, for that you can find the show on twitter at defensive sec you can follow mr kellett on twitter at lurg you can follow me although i'm not all that interesting on uh, twitter at malicious link you can find the show notes with all the, the links to the stories 
and previous podcast episodes on the website www.defensivesecurity.org. If you like us, go give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you don't like us, just close your web browser and <laughs> or or better yet, send us an email and tell us what you didn't like. Because you know what? Not enough people tell us what they don't like. Wow. Well, let's start with your shoes. We'll just work our way up. Dang. <laughs> Tough crowd. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, have a have, fun time. Have a have a great week, everyone. I, I hope uh, I hope Heartbleed. If you're if you're dealing with it like I am, I hope it lets up soon. Have a great one, and we'll we'll talk again next week. Bye. Take care, guys.